is the cradle that rocked the world. Um, there's no other birth has affected humanity quite like that birth there in Bethlehem. So I want you to find Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, 20 plus long centuries have come and gone. And today, Jesus is still like the centerpiece of humanity. Of all the armies, someone said, that ever marched, and all the navies that ever sailed, and all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the lives of people upon earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. The manger, as we say in Bethlehem, really, really was the cradle that rocked the world. Amen. Now, I want to just read this uh, passage of Scripture because we think about, you ever think about, uh, we're celebrating the birth of Christ, but you ever think about Jesus' birthday? And I think about my own, I celebrate my own birthday. There's nothing wrong with celebrating. In fact, the Bible says it's wise to, to measure your days, you know. And, and the thing about it is, is, as I realize, it's very possible that I have more Christmases behind me than I have ahead of me. Um, so, I, I, it is, you know, and, and, I've been, and, and I've been here all these years, and I've watched some of you get, like, old. And, you know, no, I've watched myself. I look in the mirror every day. And, and I, I realize that time is, is moving so fast. Uh, and so it's important to measure our days and to think about that. So, but, but I've also thought how silly it would be for me to celebrate my birthday if I didn't also have his to celebrate. Because if Jesus hadn't been born into the world and to come and to redeem us, I wouldn't have any reason to celebrate another year. By the way, it's not my birthday. You missed that one already. It happened a few months ago. But anyway, I mean, think about it. Without Jesus' birthday, it would be pointless to celebrate mine because otherwise, what would I be celebrating? The fact that I'm one year closer to death? Huh? Think about it, huh? But now because of Jesus, I can celebrate my birthday even more because of his birthday because what it means is I'm one year closer to glory. Huh? Amen. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, he says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers, that's all the people who went before us, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. His name is the name That's above all names. See, the whole picture is this, though. This time of year, people enjoy, I mean, people really enjoy Christmas. People who don't know the Lord, people who really don't think about any other time, but they enjoy Christmas, and they they love the baby Jesus. I mean, it's a whole different story when it comes to resurrection time, right, and Easter. It's a little different feel. But the baby Jesus seems so, so harmless. You know, it's like the family that came to town to see the nativity scene and, and their, their five-year-old broke loose and ran all the way up to it. Well, you're not supposed to go up there, but the, the little five-year-old ran all the way up there. And he says, you know, 
Johnny, get back here. What are you doing? Said, well, it's just as I thought, Mom. Said, what? Baby Jesus is the same size he was last year. You know, he hadn't grown up any. And for a lot of people, that's the way they kind of do it. Maybe, but listen, I want to tell you that Jesus came and he was laid in a manger, which we have these cozy little scenes. A manger is a feeding trough, right? That the king of kings, the creator, came into the world and there was no place that they could go except with the animals. He came in a lowly, humble way. Um, But I got to tell you, that manger... Today is empty. He didn't stay in the manger. Okay? Are you following me on this now? The cross is also empty. Now, I know there are some churches that they have the crucifix and Jesus on the cross. Why? You know, the cross, he's not on the cross. He was on the cross, but he finished the work on the cross. The manger's empty. The cross is empty. And you know what else? The grave is empty as well. Because he rose again victorious to give us new life. He conquered sin. He conquered death for every one of us. And it's Jesus Christ that makes Christianity, it makes the gospel different than all the religions of the world. I don't know what people are so afraid of because the gospel means what? Good news. Who couldn't use some good news today? It's good news. I don't know why we always get so negative and we get so, eh. you know, this is good news. This is something we ought to be excited about. We ought to be excited to share with people. But Christianity stands alone when it comes to this. All the other religions, as we've said before, involve things that you do to try to work your way up. But the gospel tells us the good news is here because the bad news is here, and that is we're all lost and we can't work our way up. We can't save ourselves. We can't ever do good enough, be good enough on our own. That's why God came and did this for us. That's the good news. And so it's different than anything else. It stands alone. In fact, you could take the leader of most all the other world religions out and just keep their teachings, and you wouldn't have any change whatsoever. They just follow the teachings. You could take the leader out. But you know what? You can't separate Christ from Christianity. It's not only his words, but it's built upon him. It's not just about, listen, it's not just about learning lessons from Christ. It is about Christ actually living inside of us. See, there's a difference. See, when you get saved, you don't just get religion. See, when you get saved, you don't just get Christianity. When you get saved, you get Christ. Living on the inside of you. You get Jesus. It's just like when I got, when Clarissa got married, I should say. When Clarissa got married, she didn't just get married, she got Mel Moon. See, she got me, right? It wasn't just married, she had to deal with me, you know? Uh, so it's this whole fairy tale of being married and all, but now the reality of it was, it's me <laughs> that you have. All right? So when you got saved, you didn't just get uh, salvation, you got Christ, you got Jesus. Living in your life, a personal relationship, as many as received him. You know, and that's the thing. This is the greatest gift of all that God gave himself. And the question is, have you received it? And you receive it by faith. Um, As we go through this passage, this is powerful. You might think, what are you doing reading that for a a Christmas sermon, right? Well, um, there are three things told here about the baby whose birth rocked the world and about why deity would leave heaven and take on human flesh. 
these four verses is, 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 are very incredible. Um, in fact, I want to get just a little, can I get a little, can I do a little teaching here for a second? Okay. Uh, in the original language that the New Testament was written in, which is Koine Greek, that these four verses are actually one long, complicated sentence in the original language. And it is a bit of a struggle to get all of its essence translated into our language. But the sun is the centerpiece of this whole passage. And in this passage, there are like seven descriptions of the Son of God, of Jesus. And they show why he is the ultimate revelation of God. He is it. In these last days, he's the final word. God has spoken because God has shown up. He did on planet Earth. You think about it. This one who is fully God became fully human and his feet have walked upon this planet. See, Christianity isn't just about getting human beings out of earth and into paradise or heaven. It's about God coming down from heaven to us. It's totally different than anything else. And it's totally awesome. Uh, So we're going to look at three main things today. How that Christ is God's agent in creation. That Jesus is the final word. In these last days, he's spoken through his son. In times past, he's spoke by many of the prophets and in many ways. But in these last days, it's his son. He came and made a personal experience, a personal appearance. He is the final word. He's the final word in creation. You see that right here in this passage. We see, first of all, that he is the power of creation. Did you see that? He's spoken through his son, and it says that by whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom, look at this, through whom also he made the worlds. The world there, that's the entire universe that he's talking about. He was the power of creation. Did you realize that, that Jesus, as, as Scott so beautifully saying, this little baby is the one who spoke. When you read, listen, when you read Genesis Chapter 1, and God said, let there be light. Do you realize whose voice that was? Through him, all things were made. This is getting incredible, isn't it? I like the way that it's also pointed out in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. He says, starts out in verse 1, in the beginning, in the beginning, kind of like Genesis starts out, was the Word. Jesus is called the Word. He's the Logos. The word is an expression of a thought or an idea. He was a total expression of all that God is, the nature of God. And he says in verse 3, speaking of this one, he says, Through him all things were made. All things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He is creator. He is the power of creation. Um, Not only in John chapter 1 verse 3, If I can get it to go to the next slide. Help me out there, Jeff. Uh, John chapter 1, but also in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Oh, man. Are we stuck? Yeah. Oh, boy. This is bad timing on that. So, Colossians. You're going to have to turn there. i like for you to turn there. But see, sometimes when you turn there, I read it. Then you miss it because you're still turning there and you're not listening. So, that's why we have notes for you to take with you. We have, uh, uh, you know... Uh, some things where you can look them up later and meditate on them later. But in Colossians chapter 1, Colossians is full. 
just absolutely full of incredible, credible things that, you, that talk about the power and the deity of Christ. It says in verse 16, by him, talking about by Jesus, by him, all things were created that are in heaven. Did you hear that? Did you, are you paying attention? Are you getting this? Not just things on earth. We're talking about in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Well, we, we finally find out what Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, that the things which are made, which are things which are seen are made of those things which are not seen. It took thousands of years for, for scientists to finally figure out that all the things we can see are made up of elements and are made up of molecules and of atoms that we can't see. Even the invisible things, even the angelic things, he made it. Even the angels are created. And so it says, an invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created. Listen to this. And this is why I want you to see this. And he's going to have it there in just a second because I want you to see it. Not only, oh, there it is. Thanks for working the magic back there, brother. That all things were created. Look at that last sentence. All things were created through him and for him. For him. So he's not only the power of creation. He is also the preserver of creation. Because if you go down on into verse 3, it says, Who being the brightness of his glory, talking about of God, and the express image of his person and uphold look upholding are you looking at it and upholding all things by the word of his power upholding sustaining preserving all things not only did he create it but he keeps it together he holds it together this idea that god just created the world and just backed off and like a watch you wind up and let it unwind and just let whatever happened happens is not true at the moment he takes his hand off of it every molecule would fly apart he holds it together. People are all shook up today. Do I need to do an Elvis impersonation or are you going to really get into this? They're all shook up. And, and there's so much going on. Well, you know, whether it's the economy or what's going on in politics. I don't know if a time, our nation is, is really polarized. We've all, hey, our nation has always had problems. Did you know that? Always had hypocrisy and things and problems. But it's really, really, everything it's had is polarizing things so badly today. And it's like, oh, what's going to happen and all that. I was looking at some things. Did you realize 10, okay, back up, not 10, 20 years ago. I was looking to see what I preached this time then. And I'm going to tell you which passage it was. But I can tell you this is that we talked about the big thing that was happening. Because 20 years ago, it was 1999, and we were just, you know, everybody, if you have a computer, you better turn that thing off. I mean, because, you know, on New Year's Eve, when it, stri- when it strikes midnight, man, everything's going to go crazy. You just, people buying food, and, 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 and some of, maybe some of you haven't, you still haven't eaten all that stuff yet that you stored up for 1999 for Y2K. And then guess what happened? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Uh, so, uh, but you know what? The world is not, here's, here's the thing. He's in control. He's sovereign. That means he's sovereign. The world is not going to end until the Lord says so. 
okay, until the Lord says so. There may be some bad things that may happen, but it's not the economy. It's not terrorism that we should be the most worried about. It's Jesus Christ is who we should be the most concerned about because he's coming again. All right? You even see that in this passage. It says, by him all things consist In Colossians, this is the next verse from what we read a while ago. In Colossians 1, verse 17, says, And he is before all things. He is not only before as that he precedes, but his rank is higher than all things. That word before means first in in, in number and in power. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. Do you hear that saying the same thing? It's in him that all things exist. He is the glue that holds it all together. Notice the difference between mankind and nature. Nature doesn't have a choice about whether Christ is going to hold it together. But people have a choice. So if Christ is at the center of your life, it's no wonder it's flying apart. Hmm? Yeah. This is a reason why nations are coming apart. Kingdoms are coming apart. Economies are coming apart. Because Christ is not the center of it. All life coming apart. Kind of like the five-year-old boy that got his first bad sunburn and had never experienced one before. And, the, and then a few, few days later, he starts peeling. And he's like, I'm five years old. I'm already coming apart. I don't know what's going on here. You know, we're coming apart. Our whole world is. Because we don't realize that he is a preserver of creation. He's not only the power of creation and the preserver of creation, but he is also, do you get it? The possessor of creation. Did you notice in verse 2 it says he is heir of all things? In these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds. He is the heir. It's eventually all coming to Jesus. Do you see this? It was made by him. It was made for him. And it's all coming to him. And then uh, the phrase where it talks about how that he has In verse 3, by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's actually a reference to Psalm 110. And Psalm 110 is quoted quite a bit in the book of Hebrews. And uh, that is, he is the ultimate authority over this universe. That Jesus, this one we're celebrating, is king of kings and he is lord of lords. A lot of times people want to say, what's the world coming to? What's the world coming to? Look at, and I, I want to know enough news to know what's going on, but I'm telling you, it's depressing. It's just, I, I, I just, I'm just tired of it. And you know, what is the world coming to? And a lot of times, I just try to sound really smart and say, an end. <laughs> what's the world coming to? An end. But that's actually not really the real answer. It may be coming to the end, but what's the world coming to? It's coming to Jesus ultimately under His feet. You see. The thing about it is, it's a plot of ground that we're paying on, we think is ours, it really isn't ours. God owns the whole world. And one of these days, all the nations of this world are going to be put down and bowed at his feet. The Bible tells us that. And so, he is also the possessor of creation. Don't think, just because things are so wild and so crazy, that God has somehow lost control, or that he's not. I'm telling you, he told us it would be this way. He's just as sovereign, he's just as powerful, and he is going to come back. He is the possessor of all creation. So, Jesus is the final word in creation. But he's also the final word 
in communication. In communication, not just creation, but also communication. He's God's agent in communication. God wants to communicate with people. Why? Because God is love and because God loves you. And love must say so, right? If you really love someone, you got to say it. And not only do you say it, you show it. It's not just a said thing. Because love, the noun, becomes a verb. God has said so, hadn't he? But he proved it. It's kind of like years ago, years ago, uh, there was a guy out, out in the southwest, and he was trying to send messages to his sweetheart by smoke signals. And it was out west, and he's trying to send smoke signals, send his sweetheart messages. Well, that happened to be during the time that they were experimenting with the atomic experiments out west, and he saw a giant mushroom cloud on the horizon, and he said, man, I wish I had said that. I know, maybe that one's so old it wasn't funny, but think about it for a second. Christ has communicated even louder than that. I mean, think about it. He's sending smoke signals and all of a sudden, wow, wish I had said that. However, there's no way that God could have said it any louder I mean, this is better than an atomic explosion. Any louder than his son hanging on a cross for you and me. That said, I love you louder than anything else. In fact, I don't have it up there, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. Listen, 1 John 4, 9, it says, In this the love of God was made known or manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God has proved that. You don't ever have to wonder, does God love you? He proved it once and for all by his action of what he did for us. And so God, his final word in communication to us is he himself has given himself on the cross for our sins. Jesus is God's communication in finality. He says in these last days, is spoken through his son. He's the final word. In the past, God spoke in many ways, but in this, in the last days, it is Christ. And you know what? God has through time given a gradual unfolding of himself. God has been speaking to people, been speaking to human beings through nature. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, it tells us that. It tells us that Paul says that, that because of, of, of the testimony of creation, that we're without excuse, okay? Even the heathen, without excuse because of that, Romans chapter 1. And he also says there's a second witness, because he talks about in, in Romans chapter 2, about those who don't have the law doing by nature the things that are in the law, and it's their conscience. So you have an outward witness of nature, you have an inward witness of conscience, but even with nature and with your conscience, you can't find out all you need to know about God that way. God has spoken to mankind through history. But you can't find all that you need to know about God through history. God has spoken to mankind through the law. But you can't find out everything you need to know about God through the law. He even spoke to us through the prophets. And even though it prepared us for Christ, you can't find out all you need to know about God through the prophets. But God, through the pages of this book... He was gradually unfolding his story, his plan of the unfolding of himself. He couldn't dump it all on us at once any more than you could take a first grader and enroll him in calculus. But in the fullness of time, 
It says in Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son at just the right time. He spoke through his son. He's the final revelation. All of the Old Testament points to Christ. And all of the New Testament points back to Christ. And you might say through Jesus, it's all said. Does God have anything to say to you today? Yes, he does. Jesus Christ. And who he really is. You don't have to look any further. It's like the kid that had been taking guitar lessons, trying to learn a song, and all of a sudden, come in and listen, he's just hitting one note, boing, 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 over and over and over and over again, just to the point it irritates his mom and says, what is the deal? Why are you just playing that one note? He said, because I found it. I found it, you know? And so when you find Jesus, there's no need to keep looking for something else, right? We're just going to stop right there because we have found him. And he is God's communication in finality to us. He's also not only God's communication in finality, he is God's full revelation, full communication, full communication. Did you notice in verse 3 it says about Jesus, he's the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Brightness means outshining. He's the outshining of God, shining out. God's light sent into the world. Hey, what's worse than a child being afraid of the dark? I can tell you. It's an adult who's afraid of the light. And there are a lot of adults who are afraid of the light. Why are they afraid of the light? John 3.19 tells us that they prefer darkness rather than light because their own deeds were evil. And they don't want their evil deeds exposed by the light and repent of those and trust in God. That's what John 3, 19 tells us. The same reason why, reason why some people can't find uh, the light is the same reason a thief can't ever seem to find a policeman, right? You see what I'm saying? In Christ dwells all the fullness of deity. In Christ, in bodily form. In bodily form dwells all the fullness. Listen how Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Speaking of Jesus, it says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, that's deity, bodily, in bodily form. That while he was here, he was completely human, but he was still completely God as well. Now, as you try to fathom this, when it says he is the express image of his person, he's talking about God, of the nature of God. Even though they're distinct persons, yet Jesus is the perfect expression of who God is. In essence, they are one. In essence, they are one. He is the exact, and that word express image is a word from which we get the English word caricature from. He is the stamped image of who God is. Of all that God is, that's him. The outshining of his glory. The express image of who he is. Colossians, he says, in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead or of deity in bodily form. All is all. He wasn't just part God. He wasn't just sent by God. He is God. All is all. Full is full. I don't know. It's just, that's powerful when you think of who it is we worship. Of who it is that came. Of who it is that died for our sins. 
<clears throat> so you don't have to know and understand everything. I mean, we're thinking about how God exists, one God, one essence, yet three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I mean, it, I would, I'm glad we've got a God that boggles my mind. I'm glad that I can't logically and naturally explain everything about him because if I could, he wouldn't be much of a God. You don't have to understand everything, but you do have, you don't have to, how about this? Can I say it this way? You giving me permission? I don't have to understand everything about God. I just need to know God. You can know him without understanding everything about him because I got news for you. Throughout all eternity, we're not going to understand everything about him because he's so vast. He is infinite. There is no end to the depths of his wisdom and awesomeness. And throughout all eternity, we're going to continue to learn new depths of how awesome and how wise and how glorious he is. And it will never, ever ever end will never get to the bottom of how awesome God is throughout all of forever but you can still know him and what I need to know about God the Bible tells me I can find in Jesus Christ that he came down in a way that we could identify with huh? and connect with God's master plan he is God's agent in communication, the final word. But he's also, he's not only God's full communication, God's final communication, he is God's fleshly communication. He is God's communication in the flesh. In John chapter 1, verse 14, I'm going to put this verse up there. Speaking of Jesus, who is the word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you hear that? In the beginning was the word, the same one that created all things. Later on in that chapter, he says, and the word became flesh. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If I'm going to have the truth, I'm going to need the grace. Amen. Think about it. The infinite. You know what infinite means? It means never ending. The in, Listen now. I'm telling you, this is good. I'm preaching ahead of you now. I think I'm preaching better than you're listening. You've got to listen. The infinite became an infant. He is Emmanuel. That means God with us. He's the agent of communication. He is the way the invisible God becomes visible. The unknowable becomes knowable. We can know him. Paul says in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. He is all this. He is all this. Someone said to the artist, he is altogether lovely. To the architect, he is a chief cornerstone. All these things are attributes or titles or names that are given to Christ throughout scriptures. Okay, are you following this? To the architect, he is the chief cornerstone. To the athlete, he is the goal and the prize. To the baker, he is the living bread. To the banker, he is the hidden treasure. To the biologist, he is the life. To the builder, he is the sure foundation. To the doctor, he is the great physician. To the educator, he is the great teacher. To the farmer, he's the lord of the harvest. To the florist, he's the mighty rose of Sharon. To the geologist, he is the rock of ages. To the lawyer, he is the advocate. To the publisher, he is good tidings of great joy for all people. To the philosopher, he is the wisdom of God. To the preacher, he is Jesus, the word of God. To the sculptor, he is the living stone. To the statesman, he is the desire of all 
all nations. To the theologian, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. To the sinner, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And to the Christian, he is Savior, Redeemer, Lord and Friend. Amen. That's who he is. And I'm glad that we can know him. God's final word in creation, in communication. But I got one more. And that is, he is going to be the final word in the consummation of all things. When something is consummated, it means it's all wrapped up. It's consumed. It's ended. He's the one who started it all. And he's the one who's going to end it all. He'll bring it together. He'll carry out the plan. When all of history, the last sentence is written, Jesus is the one who's going to put the period at the end of the sentence. He acts three ways in history, just real quick. In verse 3, it talks about how that he appeared as Savior by himself, by himself purged our sins. Did you read that little phrase? That is a whole world of blessing right there. By himself, on the cross, the only one qualified, the only one that could, he purged, he took care of the problem of the sin that separates us from a holy, perfect God. He appeared as Savior. He continues as sustainer. We see that he holds all things together. He sat down at the right hand. Did you see that? At the right hand of the majesty on high. So not only does he continue as sustainer, listen to this. Listen to this. He reigns as sovereign. Having become so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The word better is a key word in all the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better than all. In verse 8, he talks about the son. He says, quotes Old Testament. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God. David calls this one that would come God. Is forever. Your throne is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. He is sovereign. And one of these days, Jesus is going to make it all right. Did you know that? He's seated, listen, he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. But he's not going to stay seated forever. He's going to rise up from that throne and he's coming back. Look at verse 10. He's still quoting Old Testament. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, right? He's the creator. Are you following me? And the heavens are part of your hands, are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said this? Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Did you notice how he said that? Until. Sit by my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Until. It's just until. It's just until. Until he's coming back as a judge, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, as the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And when he comes again, it will be different. I got to tell you, Jesus is coming back. When he comes again, he's not coming to a cradle. He's coming to a crown. He's going to be crowned king of kings, lord of lords. 
He's not coming the next time to redeem us. He's already done that. The next time he's coming to reign over us. The first time he came in shame, but the next time he's coming in splendor. The first time there was no room in the inn, but when he comes again, he will possess the earth. The first time he stood before Pilate, the next time Pilate stands before him. The first time he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger and those little dimpled baby feet were there on the straw. But the next time, the Bible says, the nail-scarred feet will stand on the Mount of Olives and it will split in half and he will reign forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. No one else died to save us. No one else lives within us. No one else intercedes for us. No one else is coming again but King Jesus. He is prophet, priest, and king. As prophet, he's God's communication. As priest, he is God's sacrifice. And as king, he is coming again. Now, the first time he came, it was prophesied. And even wise men from afar, who studied the scriptures and knew some of the teachings of Daniel, probably, they knew when he came. Likewise, the second coming of Christ is also prophesied. And wise men and women today know that we are living in the last days. And the wisest thing any of us can do is get ready. Because the fullness of the time, once again, will come. And once again, I'm telling you the truth. He's going to come back and he's going to rock this world. I want that to be the greatest day of my life. Will you pray with me?